In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, I am joined by Caitlin Huey Burns. She is a CBS News political correspondent. And, you know, I, I think we can dig up some political headlines to discuss today. I think so. Thanks so much for having me. Just 13 days to go, I think. It it happens so slow and so fast. Exactly. Yes. We are powered by venti lattes at this point. Yeah. 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 So you've been reporting on these midterm elections from high attention states across the country and analyzing voter feedback and trends ahead of November 8th. So I'm super excited to get your insights on some of these races just 13 days out. So what has been your role, these midterms elections? Have you been, take us sort of behind the scenes. Do you do some traveling? Are you doing mostly analyzing and commentary from where you're at? Take us behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. A lot of traveling. I think what's so important about our coverage is to actually, you know, we get a poll and then actually going there and talking to voters and seeing what they're saying. And we were, um, I was just in Wisconsin recently um, uh, covering that big Senate race. There's a big governor's race there as well. I was in North Carolina recently too. Um, I focused a lot of my reporting this cycle on the impact of the abortion issue. Um, I think we saw a massive shift, a notable shift on June 24th, which was when the Dobbs decision came down. And I think that that really just changed the dynamic of this campaign. And we can talk about two ways in which that fervor may have have dissipated. uh, But I think there's no question that this issue has gotten people more engaged in the process. And I Mm -hmm. think more engaged in what your local government does. I mean, I'm a national correspondent, but, um, you know, we are finding that with the issue of abortion and with quite frankly, so many issues, it all is really determined at the state level. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's what I keep saying about these these midterm elections. It's not just for control of Congress. Who you elect for your governor and who you elect for your state reps are so critical to these big decisions, especially now that we see, you know, and I think we're going to see this more and more kind of a patchwork of laws around the country on various different things, not just on abortion. Um, so I've been really kind of focused on that. And I think What's unique about our coverage is that we're not just focused on kind of the politics of all of that. You know, are people going to vote on this issue or not? Does it get them engaged in this issue or not? I think that's so important. But we've also really focused on the policy of abortion access um, and kind of what it actually means when your state is either going to restrict it or ban it. Um, And uh, I think that's something that I'm, I'm really proud of in terms of our coverage. Um, and then, you know, we're covering the horse race. <laughs> we're covering um, these these big issues. I mean, the economy, just everybody feels bad about the economy right now, right? It's yeah. it's not just Republicans. There's a lot of Democrats who just feel mm-hmm. like 
you know, things just cost a lot of money right now, right? Things don't mm-hmm. really feel good right now. And so what is the solution for that? Um, mm-hmm. And we've also been covering things like, um, you know, crime is also increasingly becoming an issue. Um, I've talked to Democratic voters who are, you know, concerned about it as well. Um, and there are a variety of different, you know, there, there are lots of nuances to, to that debate as well. But I think kind of in the final stretch, that's what we've been hearing a lot of too. So I think, you know, it's it's obviously the economy and inflation are top of mind for voters, but also these other issues. And I always like to say that I think voters have the capacity to think about a lot of different things at once, right? Yeah. We're always talking about yeah. what's the biggest issue in this election. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, the, the overall themes those are big overall themes. But I, I do think, you know, we have to also think when we're covering this, like people are human, right? Yeah. They've got a yeah. lot going on. They have a lot competing for our attention and they're thinking about a lot of things. So you can care about the economy at the same time you care about abortion access. You can care yeah. about crime, the same thing you can care about, um, you know, other things. So uh, that's what I just kind of keeps my perspective mm-hmm. of like actually talking to real people. <laughs> Totally. I think just because, you know, voters, you know, are demanding answers from Democrats, for instance, on things like inflation or whether crime is up or they perceive it to be up in their areas does not mean they're going to take that and and suddenly be so I mean they just deserve all of all of the information. You've brought us into a topic that I did kind of want to talk about today and I think is really represented in the debate we saw last night, which is kind of the persistence or the ability of the abortion issue to kind of keep pace with, you know, I feel like it's been sort of like a marathon with like abortion rights in the lead the whole time. And now it's kind of getting neck and neck with other issues. And I love how you led us into that saying that like voters can consider many issues at once. Like they have brains, people juggle many things in their lives. But I think we sort of saw that a bit at play in last night's Pennsylvania Senate race. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. 
And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. What I've seen the most talk, most people talk about today is John Fetterman's performance in light of the fact that he is still recovering from a stroke that he had in May. He does continue to have challenges with speaking and auditory processing, things that he and his doctors believe will resolve and will not impact his ability to serve. The campaign agreed to a debate against Oz and Fetterman, you know, forced Oz into a few corners and made him double down on views that may be less popular in Pennsylvania, like electing Donald Trump as president again or letting local leaders make medical decisions. And, you know, Dr. Oz proved to be a pretty tough debate opponent. He is a television personality. His fluidity did at moments kind of contrast with Fetterman, who took longer at times to express himself. To start, Caitlin, you know, talk to me about the role that media needed to play last night in terms of communicating kind of the nature of stroke recovery, while also analyzing the candidate's answers. There was kind of a lot at play last night. Yeah, there, there definitely was. And you're right to know that this was the first and only debate. Yeah. So this was really the only chance that we would get to see, um, you know, these two candidates uh, next to each other. And it's also, you know, we talk about the elections coming up. I mean, people are already voting. Yes. <laughs> so um, people have already yeah. weighed in. Um, I think there's, there's a few different things to unpack. First, I think that no matter your party, a candidate's health and ability to do the job has to be taken seriously and scrutinized. I think when you have a stroke while you're running for office, um, you have to be transparent about what that has, um, what has happened as a consequence. Um, So I think the pressure and the scrutiny around that um, has been fair. And I think that we would ask that of a Republican, we should ask that of a Democrat. Um, I, I think that that is fair. I think also watching the debate last night, you know, uh, you take aside, I think there should be no issue with anybody using any sort of um, captions or things to help with this now, what the campaign is describing as a disability. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely, should be normalized and absolutely fine. I think the the questions come of, okay, well, what were the answer answers on the substance, right? And so there were issues that fracking, for example, right. Fetterman was not giving a clear answer to where he stood, not just clear delivering it, but clear answer to where he stood compared to where he was in the past. And in a place like Pennsylvania, that's, that matters, right? That's, that's a huge issue there. Um, And I think, you know, on the same token, um, nailing down Oz's position on abortion Mm -hmm. access is also critical. And I think that's also something that, um, you know, the the way that he phrased it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. we basically said, the quiet part out loud, right? I mean, that there should be, in his view, some room for some kind of government decision mm-hmm. on this. Um, what I think he was trying to say was that, you know, now that this has been decided at the courts, it's now kicked to the states. So the states quite literally decide the laws. Um, so then you can agree or disagree with whether you think that should be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think, you know, watching 
the debate last night, there, there's a lot of nuance to unpack there. And I just think the bottom line is you have to address what the candidates were talking about in terms yeah. of policy and substance and um, questions about health in a nuanced and fair way, I think are fair game. Yeah, I think that's such useful framing for people to, you know, watch that debate or others where it's about clarity of message. So there were times where John Fetterman was not being very clear with his message for a variety of reasons. And there were times where Dr. Oz was not being clear about his message for a variety of reasons. So I think that's um, a really helpful way. How do you think a debate last night motivates people at this point in the cycle? You know, people like you and I have been paying attention, God help us, since, since you know, yeah. since January 2021. But, but where are people yeah. at right now? What are what are they looking for specifically? You know, I'm thinking specifically about women voters who may have seen John Fetterman in their view, maybe stumble. Maybe they saw the debate and they're feeling mm-hmm. uneasy about it, but also saw Dr. Mm-hmm. Oz say he thinks your local political leaders should have a say in your personal medical decisions. So how do you think, mm-hmm. you know, from your discussions with people, yeah. how, are, how are people weighing those things right now? Yeah, there's always this debate about debates, right? Like, mm-hmm. does this actually move the needle? And I think what we're seeing more this cycle than we've seen in past cycles are two different things. One, candidates are debating less. I mean, we have one debate in this in this race, um, and they're finding other avenues to either address voters directly, kind of circumventing the media or circumventing these traditional formats to speak to voters directly, or, you know, seeking avenues where they can amplify their Mm -hmm. uh, message to a friendly audience. Um, So I do have, you know, I think the voters miss out without these kinds of um, debates and and kind of a a setting that allows for that. Um, And then I also think that um, what we've seen this cycle, and I think this is going to be a trend that continues, is that the parties essentially believe it's kind of like, you know, you rally around your candidate, right? I mean, we're, we saw this with with Herschel Walker in, in the yeah. Georgia debate. They set a very low bar, bar for his performance. And that came at a time that Republicans, you know, were, okay, everything going on, do I want to support him? And then right. he does fine in the debate and they say, okay, that's all we need. And we're going to coalesce. And right now I think we're seeing kind of the parties mm-hmm. come home and this idea, because the stakes are so high, especially when it comes to the Senate's 50-50 split, Mm -hmm. it's kind of this idea of let's win at all costs, Mm -hmm. right? We got to rally around uh, at all costs. But I think, you know, I'm I'm paying, you know, close attention to the abortion issue. I think it's been really interesting to follow because this is something that Republicans had been campaigning on for my entire lifetime (laughs) and uh, longer than that. Um, And we haven't seen them celebrate that, Mm -hmm. right? You would think if you were campaigning to overturn Roe, that this would be touted as an achievement. And I think the reason that they aren't doing that and and trying to, you know, paint Republicans as extremists is because I do think that there are voters in the middle on this. Mm -hmm. I do think that there are, you know, uh, women in particular, but also others who, um, you know, like I said, you know, care about a lot of different things, but when it comes to this issue, they want some clarity, on, on where you stand. Um, and, I, and I think that's really important. And, and something that I've been trying to follow in my reporting is, you know, even, even if there are these restrictions, what are you doing to help women and children? And that's really been kind of something that I've tried to focus on. Um, and I, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm a new mom myself. I have a one-year-old and when we got the, the leak of the decision, mm-hmm. I just kept thinking, okay, I just went through 
this crazy experience. I had all the resources in the world and it was so incredibly hard mentally, especially. Um, so what does it mean for people in these states that aren't going to have any options? And then also when you look at the states where the bans are or the most restrictive states, they also do the least for women and children. I mean, you're looking at, you know, I was in Mississippi the day that after the decision came down, that's a place with, you know, very just low scores on everything when it comes to taking care of people. So I think, you know, as we're following this debate, I think it's also important to focus on on that element as well. So even you can, you know, support restrictions, but what are you going to do to to help people now that this is in place? And I think that Mm -hmm. hasn't really been answered yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I was watching, you know, last night's debate, or I even just see critiques of, of any candidates, just observing them as that, you know, the, it's really easy for the pundits to say the pundits to say like, oh, that was hard to watch, or I don't know, people aren't like. It's like if you're a woman, nothing changed between that the debate between something a candidate stumble. It's like the fact still remains that you know what's at stake could be your local political leaders, you know, having having input. I'm also very curious. You know, I'm really excited about the North Carolina Senate race. Um, Mm -hmm. what is your kind of like, what are you, what are you seeing there? What are you expecting on election night there? Yeah, I think that's been such a sleeper race. And that was, um, you know, we were down there a couple of weeks ago and what stood out to me about that was that, um, North Carolina is, is one of the few States in the South that hasn't implemented a ban. So we went down there and we spent time at a, a clinic, um, abortion clinic and they actually let our cameras in while they were seeing patients for the first time, uh, really to kind of highlight just the amount of traffic that they are getting from out of state. People driving 10 hours to seek care. Um, And many of them don't really have those kinds of resources, right? They're scrounging, scrounging it together to get there. Um, And to me, that kind of was was a way to get into the political dynamics in the state because North Carolina is fascinating, right? It's a state that, especially over the pandemic, you've seen a lot of people move there. Um, Republicans that I talked to there have noted that over the next several years, they think that you're going to have more people born outside of North Carolina that live in North Carolina. So that'll change a lot of the political dynamics. Um, And they have a Democratic governor, but a Republican legislature. So the legislature really can't do much on abortion access because they'll be vetoed by the governor. But if they win enough seats in this next election, they could override that veto. So uh, that's why we kind of focused on abortion access. And I think that that's something that has really made that race close for someone like Sherry Beasley, um, because it's a a place where uh, abortion access has been... um, has been allowed um, up to 20 weeks and it's a place that people are coming to see care. Um, so, you know, people that we were talking to there were saying that like, you know, I know friends that have opened their doors to yeah, yeah. people coming from out of state and this is kind of a personal issue here. So I'm curious to see, I think that's a good mm-hmm. test of where mm-hmm. the momentum around that issue meets the momentum around people's frustrations about the economy. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's less of a tolerance there to, you know, elect somebody to the Senate, to national office, who is participating in in what's causing, you know, that influx of people who are in, you know, really, really Mm -hmm. dire shades. Last one that I'm kind of thinking a lot about, Nevada. 
This is yes. one that's super close and one that, you know, I didn't really think we were going to lose. But why do you think that, you know, Senator Cortez Masto is kind of, it's really neck and neck and it's going to be one of those things where we're going to see how it shakes out on election night? Yes, it's very close. We have it ranked as a toss-up. And I think yeah. that's a, an area where you're seeing the effects of the pandemic on the economy. Um, yeah. Remember, obviously, Vegas, uh, that... Mm-hmm. County is obviously where most of the votes are in Nevada. And this was an area where, you know, hospitality runs everything, right? And just decimated by the pandemic. Um, And so I think you're, you're seeing there the real influence of the economy. And I think that works against Democrats there. Mm -hmm. And the other interesting thing about Nevada, when it comes to abortion, you would say, okay, well, maybe abortion access will be something that will at least motivate Democrats. But in Nevada, they already have it written into their state constitution that um, abortion Mm -hmm. access is, is permitted. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that is at risk at this point of being taken away. So it's not giving... Um, you know, playing the same way there as I think we're seeing in other places. But that's why Nevada is critical. Um, it's also, you know, we're watching how Latino the Latino vote shapes out. And I always say it's not a monolithic group and it's really important not to characterize it that way. Um, but that's also a place where Republicans that I have talked to believe that they have made inroads. Mm-hmm. And finally, one more group that you and your colleagues have been taking a close look at is the pressured parents. So can you tell me about this group and the role that they're going to play and what's on their mind? Yeah, I think, this is I, a- think, I think some of our listeners are like, girl, we know. We heard that phrase and we know, but yeah, <laughs> I think we're all yeah. pressured parents, right? Yeah. Um, in some way. You know, this is a group that I am so fascinated by, especially as we look at the power of women in elections and Pressure parents encompasses women and men, but I'm particularly interested in uh, women and kind of the effects that the pandemic has had on them economically with their kids. Um, we're, we're seeing that pandemic policies have spurred really a lot of debate about kind of who's in charge of your family, right? Um, it, when it comes to masking, when it comes to education, we just kind of saw all of that collide post pandemic. Uh, in a way that became, you know, really negative. Um, but I, I, but I think that this is something that people are feeling in, on those issues, but also economically. You know, we saw women leave the workforce to have to leave the workforce right. to be able to take care of their children um, through the pandemic, and I think that has had, you know, lasting, lingering effects. And I think mm-hmm. all of this has kind of shaped. Oh, we're also, you know. Parents are always also worried about sending their kids to school and not getting shot, right? Um, So there's all of these different issues, so much nuance, but all of this, I think, uh, are are hitting parents acutely. And I think when we're looking at kind of how this affects elections, we saw in 2018 that suburban women made the difference. I mean, they showed up for Democrats um, because of of kind of how they were feeling. And I, I think we're starting to see in our polling at least perhaps trending back towards Mm -hmm. Republicans because of those issues. So I think that's a really interesting group to watch. Yeah, totally. Such a fascinating election cycle. When I can when I can disassociate from the impact it's going to have on our lives and just gamify it for a bit, it's <laughs> it's fascinating. Caitlin, thank yeah. you so much. Tell us, tell us, tell our listeners where they can hear more from you on this and follow your reporting. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at C. Huey Burns and uh, follow us on uh, CBS Mornings, CBS Evening News, and our streaming network. I often anchor our political program on the streaming network called Red and Blue. So tune in. It's all free on your app, on your CBS News app. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much, Caitlin. That is our show. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betchessup Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.